Uh, Merry Christmas. My name is Tommy Allen. If you're visiting tonight, I'm the senior pastor here. And, um, you know, I've been here for 14 years, 12 of them as a senior pastor, and I think 12 years in a row, I preached the same exact passage on Christmas Eve. And so if you want to hear a preacher problem, that gets so old, <laughs> right? I'm going to do something a little different tonight. First thing, I want to ask you a question. The question I want to ask you is basically, how many choices do you think you make every day? You just had to guess off the top of your head. You don't have to shout them out loud. You had to guess, you know, you know what do you make, 10, 15, 20, 100 choices a day? Okay, I'm going to give you the information because you're not going to believe this. From the University of North Carolina, this is from the Science Reporter's blog, a guy named Frank Graft from February 7th, 2018. He says, as Americans, we are proud of the fact that we get to choose our government leaders. We may not always like the choices presented to us on the ballot, but we get to vote. Additionally, as American consumers in a free market economy, we've come to expect a lot of choices when it comes to products and services. For example, which TV service do I use? And then once it's hooked up, which channel do I watch? Do I want a regular coffee or a coffee drink? What should I wear to work? Which route do I get, take to get to work? Should I like a friend's post on Facebook? You get the idea. So one might wonder just how many decisions do we make in a day? You can decide if you want to keep reading. Haha, <laughs> see what he did there? Um, researchers at Cornell University estimate we make 226.7 decisions each day on food alone. And as your level of responsibility increases, so does the multitude of your choices you have to make. It's estimated that the average adult makes about 35,000 remotely conscious decisions each day. Each decision, of course, carries certain consequences with it that are both good and bad. That's surprising to you? Surprising to me. I mean, so today, we're going to look at it. Typically, we've looked at the passage from Luke that we just read, that, that the readers read. And in the Gospel of Luke, there's a nativity story, which we read. And that story is given from Mary's perspective. The nativity story in Matthew's account of the Gospel is actually given from Joseph's account, uh, Joseph's perspective, and what Joseph's perspective is on this whole thing called the gospel, this whole thing called the nativity, this whole thing about the virgin birth, is he has some really big choices to make. I mean, like, incredibly big choices to make. A lot of us, we have mundane choices, like, what, you know, what am I going to have for breakfast? What am I going to wear to work? Maybe we have some choices that, that are a little bit bigger, you know, like, should I go to college or not? Or where should I go to college? Maybe the biggest decision any of us ever make, and not everyone makes this decision, is A, should I get married? And, and B, like who should I, I marry? Or is there anything stopping me from marrying this person? We're going to look at Joseph's perspective tonight on that. So why don't you, uh, let me pray for us, and then we'll jump right in. Father, I just pray that now that you would come and you would open the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf. I pray that you would come and you would be in my head and in my thinking and in my heart and in my understanding and in my mouth, and in my speaking. In Jesus' name we pray all of these things, amen, and amen. <clears throat> so basically, what we're going to look at tonight in this passage is that Joseph faces a, a, this hard choice of whether or not to get married. 
to, to marry, whether, whether or not to go through with this until it becomes a no-brainer that he should. So on one hand, there's all this drama and tension, and on the other hand, it's, it becomes for him, I think, the easiest decision that he ever made. And we'll see if that has anything to do with our lives. So what are, what's the choice he has to make here? I'm reading back one of the passages we first read, Matthew chapter 1. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So imagine this. We're going to find out. There's a hint a little bit later in the text that Joseph is either really tightly wound or Joseph has a very tidy life, and he's interested in keeping his life very tidy. In other words, he's got his act together, and he's, mar- he's betrothed to this girl, and in the ancient Near East, engagement and betrothal basically were equal to being married. In other words, if you got engaged to someone or betrothed, that lasted for a year, and if you wanted to break it off, you had to officially divorce as if you had already been married. And so we know the story. Mary comes to him, I imagine, and she's like, Joseph, you know, I've got some news for you. She says, God came, and he says that I'm going to bear a son, and the Holy Spirit impregnated me, but I've not been with another guy, seriously. And now, so Joseph is looking at this woman, and he's, got, he's, got, he's deciding, I imagine, either A, that she cheated on him, or B, that she's crazy, or C, all of the above, right? We know that, she, that this child is from the Holy Spirit. He doesn't know that. He's just a guy who has a job, and he's planning on having a family, and imagine he has his whole life ahead of him. And just imagine if you've gotten married, or if you're, get, you're engaged, or maybe you just got married, you have all of these thoughts and plans of the, of the way things are going to go. Joseph had those just like we do. Now he is faced with this incredibly difficult choice. Right? He, has, he's, he basically has three options here. He can publicly divorce her. In other words, he could, he could take her to court very publicly and basically say, she is pregnant, I'm not the father, and she admitted that, and basically he would have been off the hook. No one would have thought anything. They would have said, he is a great guy, and she is an adulteress, and then they would have said, now let's stone her. So that was one option. The other option was for him to just sort of like slink away and act like nothing happened and sort of just go with it and bear the scandal. But everyone when them would have thought, well, look at, he actually got his girlfriend pregnant, right? And they would have had that whole thing going on. Or he could do what we see in the text, at least that he contemplated, that he could quietly divorce her. He could get two witnesses and they would hear the case and he would divorce her and he would send her away quietly so she wouldn't be stoned or anything like that. But also everyone would know that Mary was the one who was to blame and that Joseph was the good guy. So he had a chance to preserve his own goodness, his own righteousness. And notice what it says in verse 19. It says, her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. And when it says that Joseph is a just man, that's important. That, that, that word there describes the kind of person who cares about the poor who is very compassionate. So in other words, he looks at this girl and says, oh, you, this poor, crazy girl, she's gotten herself in trouble, and you know, why should I go to the trouble of having her stoned and making a big deal out of it? She's going to have shame enough for her whole life. I'll just put her away quietly. 
And he does that because he's a good guy. He probably thinks he's a good guy. And so he decides he's going to do that. And in the midst of these decisions, these swirling decisions, an angel intervenes in the whole scene. And that's what we see next. It says, but, in verse 20, and if you go to our church, you know that I love the word but, because it means get rid of everything that just came before. And so it says, but, as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, what's interesting that I'd never seen before until I looked at until about three o'clock this afternoon, I was staring at this passage. Did you notice every time an angel appears to someone in the Bible, they start by saying, "Fear not," because there's an angel in front of you. Right, so, so Joseph is minding his own business. I don't know if he's asleep or what, he, you know, if he's drifting off, he's contemplating, and a, an angel comes in, and the angel does not say to him, fear not, I know you're afraid of me being a giant angel in your room <laughs> with all of the glory and all of the light and all of just the fact that, like, you were by yourself and now you're not. He doesn't say any of that. Did you hear what he said to him? He says, Joseph, do not fear Take Mary as your wife. In other words, apparently, Joseph is cool with an angel showing up, but what he's not cool with is his tidy life being turned over by something he didn't plan on. What Joseph is afraid of is not the glory of this angel. He's afraid that all of his plans have now changed. He's afraid that everything that he thought was going to be is not going to be, and now he has to either deal with what is he supposed to do, and the angel continues, fortunately. And what the angel says is, I think, is what makes this a no-brainer for Joseph. The angel said, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means... God with us. So now, basically, Joseph's decision is to embrace this child, even if it means giving up his tidy life, or rejecting the child, maybe at the risk of his soul. What's he going to do? Is, is giving up his tidy life enough? Is this baby enough for him to give up basically everything, potentially? And we hear that all this was done so that the scripture might be fulfilled, saying this child will also be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. In other words, the name Jesus means Yahweh saves. It's from the, from the Old Testament, it's a Greek version of it. And a lot of kids in those days would have been named Jesus. Right? It was just a common name, and it was a cool name, right? It was sort of militaristic that Yahweh saves, and it would have reminded them of Joshua, the great hero in Israel. And what the angel says to him is he says, this boy, this baby will be named Jesus because he will actually do what his name says. He will save his people from their sins because this child right here, the one that, that is in your betrothed, is actually God with us. That God is breaking through from where he is, sort of uh, transcendent and distant from us. That God is now making himself visible in and through this woman that you are betrothed to. 
and he will save us, you from your sins. Now, eventually, we'll find out that the way this baby saves, saves Joseph from his sins and the way the baby will save us from our sins is by living a perfect life. He lived the life we should have lived, and he died the death that we should have died. And ultimately, he would raise again from the dead. So now Joseph has to decide, do I, do I embrace the baby and give up my tidy life, or do I reject the baby? And the reason I keep making that point is because if you're here tonight, you're not a Christian, I would, I would hate to say to you, you know, here's the thing, come to church on Christmas Eve, trust Jesus, and you walk out of here, and everything's going to be cool for the rest of your life. That would be a lie. You see, whenever Jesus enters in, he starts, starts mucking around with everything that we've got going on in our lives, and oftentimes things change drastically. And sometimes it looks like they change drastically for the worse, when in fact, ultimately, they're for our own good but it's not tidy anymore but the question is is it worth it is it worth giving up maybe your tidy life is it worth giving up control that you might be saved from your sins that you might have a relationship with very god of very god you see if we ask the question of joseph it says when joseph woke from his sleep he did as the angel of the lord commanded him he took his wife but knew her not until she gave birth to a son and guess what he did? And he called his name Jesus, right? It's like, what's he going to do? Does he have any other choice? He calls him Jesus, which means that he's actually embraced this child. And the question is, what are you going to do? What are we going to do tonight? And before you, before you do that, I just wanted to point out how we expect people are going to have this kind of, of response. We expect that hard decisions about Jesus and about these kinds of things around Christmas time are actually no-brainers. I started thinking through Christmas specials today. You know, every single Christmas special, at least I think the good ones, involve the, the main character having to make some major choice. And you're watching it, and you're like, that choice is a no-brainer. But if you really think about it, it's not a no-brainer. And some of the choices are the choices that are analogous to the choice Jesus made on our behalf. So, like, for example, think about Rudolph. What decision does Rudolph have to make? Right? So Santa treats Rudolph horribly for the whole special, for the whole hour. He tells him he's miserable. He tells him he's ugly. He, he doesn't want to be seen with him. Santa is a horrible human being. Trust me. And then the sky is cloudy and the biggest storm of the century is there and Santa comes and says, you know, Rudolph, with your nose so bright, won't you guide my sleigh tonight? And we're so like, yay, Santa, you're so awesome. If I was Rudolph, I'd be like, serious. Like, you expect me to help you after all this. But Rudolph says yes. Do you remember why he says yes, though? It wasn't because Santa's a great guy. Rudolph says yes because he promised the Island of Misfit Toys that he would come back for them. He promised that he was going to come back and make sure that all of the Misfit Toys had a home. Right? That's what Jesus does for us. That's exactly what he does. He doesn't come because Santa's great. He certainly doesn't come because we're great. He comes because you and I are Misfit Toys. And he has promised to come and save those who have put their trust in him. How about Frosty? Does he have a hard decision to make? Remember, Frosty finally makes it to the North Pole with his friend Karen, and she starts to die. <laughs> right? 
Like, think about morbid some of these specials. She's like keeling over in the snow, and Frosty sees a greenhouse. And so Frosty has to make a hard decision. Do I take her into the greenhouse and give up my own life, or do I just let her die? Frosty gives up everything so that Karen can live. Of course, it was magic Christmas snow, and he could be resurrected. It just, you could keep going like this, right? I mean, so the choices we have to make, ask yourself this, what choice did the Grinch have to make? Right, the Grinch, when he got to the top of Mount Crumpet and he heard the Who's singing, he could, he, his choice was what? I can either stay up on this mountain and be my old Grinchy self and be lonely and stay here with this stupid dog or... I can go down the mountain and basically admit what I did and receive love and joy and forgiveness. That seems like a no-brainer to me. You ever heard of Ebenezer Scrooge? Hard decision. Am I going to be lonely and solitary as an oyster for my whole life? Or am I going to, to embrace Christmas? Am I going to let Christmas change me? And so as you leave here tonight in a while, after the Lord's Supper and after all that, ask yourself those questions. Have you made this sort of no-brainer decision? Is it a no-brainer? And have you let Christmas change you? And by Christmas, I mean the gospel of Jesus. Think about that. Let me pray for us. Father, I do pray that um, as we are here and we continue on with the Lord's Supper and we continue on with all the rest of the service, that the, the, the Holy Spirit would come. Uh, and just open our eyes to see the joy and the wonder of this one Jesus who was born to save us from our sins. In Christ's name we pray all these things. Amen.